Hey, welcome back to Video Game Academy, Academia, Acad anyway, welcome back. <laughs> We're talking about Final Fantasy VI, and uh, we, we left off last time with um, Terra, as performed, blasting off into the distance, the wild blue yonder. Um, back with me, Ben Kozlowski. How's it going, Ben? It's going all right, sir. Let's let's track her down and see what's up in um, a few different places today. We've got to revisit the castle of Figaro. Mm -hmm. We've got to uh, travel by castle over to Kolingen, a Kolingen or something. And yep. uh, each of those places has some pretty interesting sort of backstory that um, gets brought out um, for different characters. And then we move along briskly to Zozo, where it rains all the time and everybody lies. Um, so some interesting stuff, scenic, you know, scenery-wise, world-building-wise, and, and character development-wise. So I don't know. Maybe we should just pick up right where we left off in Narsh, though. Um, yeah, at the very least. Um, like, it is... We, we get another party division moment, only this is the first time that we actually get to decide who, who goes where. Um, like the last time the party broke up for anything more than just a single battle, it was, you know, Saban floating off one direction and, and Locke running off in another direction and the rest of the party cleaned their lives as they rushed downstream. But now, now we have control over things. Now we get to decide who goes and who stays. So who did you pick? Um, my party, I like after that big battle with Kefka, I had discovered um, a couple of potential weaknesses that I needed to deal with. So I decided to go with the let's train the noobs route. Um, <laughs> and I put Sella's lock and uh, Cyan in my party, not remembering whether or not I had to, you know, actually do anything with the people left behind. Um, oh, okay. So, so as a result, I missed all the storytelling stuff that had to do with Edgar and Sabin at the castle because oh. neither of them were in my party when I when I revisited it. Um, but on the flip side, I got to see tons of Locke backstory as we wandered through Colingen, Um and Shadow joined up. Surprise! Yeah, yeah. if you uh, have an ex an empty spot or two or three, then you can you can retain the services of the assassin. Yes. Uh, and so you did that. What does yes. that do? Does he stay with you once once you get him on your party? Sort of. Um, we we had a bit of a, a hiccup because we made it all the way to Zozo and then got wrecked by one of those giants who uses like the magnitude eight when he dies and he oh they're awful party in one shot because I was not prepared for it. Um, so up like Shadow had joined me at that point and stuck with me all the way to Zozo. But then when I reloaded the game, Shadow took like two battles on the overworld. Was like, all right, peace out. And I'm like, darn it! <laughs> like well, I didn't, I didn't even make it to to Jadur, and he's just like, yeah, I'm out. What, what do you do then? Does can you go find him at an inn again, or do you just have to go back to Narsh? And I did not find him, so I just trucked on regardless. And it was a it was a tough tough battle through Zozo, but but we did make it okay. a, little, a little more pre prepared, keeping everybody's health a little bit higher, being a little bit more uh, generous with the tinctures and keeping keeping the party healthy with Sela's was really the key. But yes. once again, we have Shadow just taken off whenever he darn well pleases. Um, Is there some kind of algorithm for that? Is like a set number of battles or 
actions that you take with him or like I want to say that it's just pure random number generator, but I could be wrong. Um, I noticed that the fight where he took off, um, he was actually really active. Like um, the dog that he Uh, keeps around with him. um, He's also very random. Like sometimes he blocks for you. Sometimes he resurrects your guys. Sometimes he heals you. Sometimes he attacks. Um, And that dog was all over the place in the last fight that I had. Like he (laughs) saves... Uh, he saved uh, Cyan from getting knocked out at one point. He attacked one of the bad guys at one point and missed, unfortunately. And then apparently that was enough. And Shadow was like, all right, I'm out. So I have no idea if there's a connection there. I've always assumed that it's just pure random number generator, but I'm not sure. Interesting. Yeah, that, that does kind of throw a, a level of randomness and also like it highlights how this game lets you sort of choose the level of difficulty that you want. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you can put in for strong characters. You can, like you said, kind of do a balance thing and try to round out some characters you haven't used so much. Or, you know, you can just amp up the difficulty and put in a single character, right? You could Mm -hmm. theoretically just play this section with just one person. Um, It would be real difficult. It would be, yeah, it would be, I I don't know, just like, just because you can. because that's the kind of thing that, you know, people who play yep. a lot of video games like to do from time to time. Like, like the people who play Ocarina of Time but never pick up a heart piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you can, I mean, you can sort of see, like, why you would need to form two groups. They sort of explain that within the game, which is more than most games bother to do. They just sort of, like, artificially limit you to having three or whatever characters. So yep. I, I kind of like that. I like that you can explore Narsh again and find some new mm-hmm. stuff this time. Um, some pretty good stuff actually for um, for Locke, right? He gets like a, a thing that helps him steal more often and um, mm-hmm. yeah, and like randomly steal when he attacks or something like that. So so he's clearly like a key character you should be using at this point, seems implied there. I think yep. Celis is a, a you know, obvious choice because she can heal. Yeah, um, now, that, now that Terra is out, having yeah. Celis is almost a must at this point. And those two kind of go together, right? I mean, Locke mm-hmm. is this kind of gentleman he wants to save damsels and that's sort of his thing and so yeah that, that makes sense they kind of fit nicely um and then i chose the two brothers just because i knew that they had a, a scene that would happen at the castle if they're in your party um i remembered that part um partly because it gets alluded to in a weird way in xenogears which i'm also playing right now oh, okay. um, there's like the castle uh in the desert sort of thing and there's right. um two you know ruling brothers sort of motif going on so um anyway yeah it was fresh in my mind for whatever reason so i did that and and their scene is like um pretty dramatic i mean you you show up if you have edgar in your party things are cheaper in the castle so that's just like a nice added bonus right Mm -hmm. um but then also um sabin hasn't been back for a long time so he he leaves your party and walks around the castle and if you spend the night then you have this kind of flashback that that it triggers um, where they are losing their um, their parents. I think it's their dad who's passing away now, the king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now mom has already died and now dad is dying. And so the succession is upon them, right? Like they, right. they, they're next in line. Um, and it's, it's rumored that the empire once again has, has, poisoned it's not just like 
a natural thing. You know, he, he's been poisoned. So it's very much reminiscent of science episode um, back at his castle, right? Losing his family. And, um, and the difference here, I think, is that you are in the place of, of having a responsibility to that place. Like it's not totally destroyed the yeah. way um, science kingdom was. And so you have the, uh, this great division within the, um, the two brothers, right? And one mm. wants to go off and be free. He just doesn't want any part of um, you know, ruling and uh, dealing with the empire as if, you know, in, in political way like you have to do. Right. Yeah. There we go. There's an elixir in that clock, I tell you what. <laughs> I know, right? Every single clock. Every clock. And so, okay, so he, he wants to leave. Um, big brother, Edgar, I don't know if he's actually older, but anyway, he seems older in this moment. He says they'll yeah. leave it to chance, of all things, right? So flipping the coin. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then it fades back to the present. And clearly, you know, based on what's happened, you know how that turned out. Um, yeah. But they sort of have this... Um, you know, they come back together. They, they understand one another now in a different way. And, and I love this line. Um, they say, here's to a couple of confused grownups, right? Mm -hmm. These 10 years have passed. Um, so there's a, there's a lovely kind of a retrospective feel to it. They, they're, they're not kids the way that most, you know, RPG heroes seem to be. Um, yeah. They're supposed to be, you know, older now. They've, they've gone through some things. And, um, and they're seeing, they're looking back and seeing their story in a, in a new light as a result. So I, I really liked that scene. I thought it was, you know, kind of short, um, but about probably as long as it needed to be. Um, mm. It fits nicely with things that we've seen with other characters and it, and it helps fill out these two uh, a little bit more. So it's definitely worth doing next time you're uh, oh, yeah. Figaro. I think you can, yeah, I think you can access the same scene just like any time you go through the castle with the two brothers, like it comes up um, at other times. I want to say, I could be wrong. But, no, I think um, you're right. And I, yeah. I like that that's, it's nonlinear in that way. Um, yeah. It mirrors the choice that you have in choosing your party. It's like you can find out more about these people or not, or do it now or do it later. It's all good. Yeah, and the choices like th there are difficulties that you can s start to see here. Um, like even in the, even in the other conversations, the couple of like characters you run into or scenes that you have, some of them obviously are dependent on who you have in the party. So, you know, you have Edgar and Saban, you get the, the long flashback scene in Figaro. If you have Locke and Sellers, then you have the, the flashback scene there in, um, in Collingen. Um, but even more than that, you know, depending on who you bring along, like the game is trying to sort of accommodate a whole bunch of possibilities and you'll, you'll get those, those little lines where it's just in quotes and you don't know who's talking and like, maybe there's an <laughs> indication, maybe somebody's moving around, but it's sort of like, this is a generic line that anyone could theoretically be saying. Yes. And it's especially funny if you have like Gal in the party who, you know, is supposed to be barely literate and he's, you know, saying these lines as though all of a sudden he's mastered the art of English. Right. Um, but I, I think it's, I think it's really interesting the, the sort of effort that Final Fantasy VI makes to, to make it fit with the characters that you have to, to give you these opportunities to let their backstories shine through. 
Um, like even if you miss them over the course of the game, even if you never go to Figaro with Edgar and Saban, it's there. Um, like it makes sense to go that to that place and see what the connection is. Yeah. Um, when you find Rachel later, you know, it sort of just piques your curiosity. Like what if Locke met this person beforehand? What if I saw that scene beforehand? Um, so there are hints throughout and like, especially considering that this is, I want to say this is the first time that Final Fantasy has given you the power to break out of the, the established team. Um, so, yeah. yeah, because like one through five, the party is almost always determined for you. And one, three, and five, it's the same four characters, no matter what you do the whole game. Um, and then two and four, party members will come and go, but they always go and come in this scripted fashion. Right. Like the game always knows who's in your party. But in six, now you can wander around with who knows. Um, and the game is still trying to tell this story about everybody involved. And, and I think it, it makes it richer as a result, the fact that you can choose, um, the fact that you do have this giant cast that you're sort of juggling and, you know, again, like we've said, some of the characters seem a little lackluster by comparison to some of the others, but even so, they all have something. There's always, there's always something curious about these characters, something that you want to discover and explore. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, that, there's that character Mog, right? Like, I mm. still, like, I still want to get him to join my party. I, I haven't figured out how to do it yet. I know it happens at some point and I yes. don't want to miss it. Um, yeah. And I don't know, like I said, I didn't know how to get shadow to join my party or if he would stay if I did. Mm -hmm. So I, I wasn't sure about that one either. So it, it, it vastly increases the amount that you just don't know um, mm -hmm. out, that's out there in the game that there's, that's there to find sort of the way that you find, you know, treasures and elixirs and, and, and weird little hole in uh, a hero ring, right? You find in, in a pot somewhere in this part. So yeah, it's it's sort of it's like these Easter eggs, but they're a bit more than that. I feel like they're they're not, but they're a little less than side quests. So I'm not mm -hmm. quite sure what to call them, but it's certainly it's cool that there's that optional material there to um, to discover, and mm -hmm. you know, like it it maps on really nicely to how many different ways you can proceed in terms of you know actually your strategy and who you bring along and how you how you tackle the different um kind of battles and things going on in the game so yeah so in Kolingan, so what so if you do have celis and Locke, what do you see take place there yeah the story that you start to piece together in Kolingan, like if you talk to some of the random characters just milling around they'll mention or they'll recognize Locke, and they'll mention oh are you here to see rachel um and of course, at this point, you don't know who Rachel is, but it's been alluded to that like Locke has some some tragic backstory hanging out behind him. Like there was some connection that he had made. Um, and eventually, you know, you talk to people and they point you to this one house and the house is apparently long since abandoned. Um, but you walk in with Locke and Locke has this scene where he basically just, he, rec he recognizes the place first off and then he delivers this flashback. And in the flashback, you see, like, he was in love with this girl, Rachel. They were going on some adventure together, like, you know, typical Locke-esque treasure hunting craziness. 
Um, they're walking across some rickety bridge in some mountain cave and the bridge gives way and she pushes him out of the way to save him and falls and falls herself. Um, so he climbs down and somehow saves her. We, we don't see this. It's off screen. But the next that we see is she's lying in a bed and Locke is sort of like standing there beside her, obviously caring for her along with somebody else. And she comes to, but now she's lost her memory. She doesn't know who he is anymore. Um, and the family apparently jumps on this. Like they apparently never liked Locke. So they kick him out of the house. And they're like, well, if she doesn't know who you are, we don't want you around, so get lost. And she's like, well, you seem nice, but I really don't know you, so sorry. And then, so first you get this, like, dejected moment from Locke. Like, he, had, he was in love with this girl, they had this relationship, there was something between them, and then it disappeared. And it was his fault. Like, he's the one who dragged her on this, quote, adventure. He's the one who couldn't you know, get to her fast enough, but then it compounds um, because as he explains, uh, like they, because he leaves her, like originally he's thinking, okay, I'm going to just stay here. I'm going to camp outside her door. She's going to see me every time she gets up out of bed. Like I'm going to be completely unavoidable, but then some between the family and the other people in town, they're like, no, you need to leave her alone. She needs to make her own life. So he leaves and the town gets taken over by the empire and she's, she and the family are killed in the process, apparently, according to our flashback. Um, And he takes that guilt upon himself as well. He couldn't save her. He should have stayed. So not just once, but twice has he failed Rachel and let her succumb to the events surrounding her. But if you keep looking in Kalingan, there's another room where someone is actually taking care of Rachel. Like she's not dead as previously thought. She's lying in this bed surrounded by flowers with this weirdly and inappropriately comical priest hanging around (laughs) watching her and protecting her. And he, like if you talk to him with Locke and the party, he and Locke have this exchange and Locke's, you know, he's clearly watching over her on Locke's behalf, but they're also waiting to find a cure to whatever it is. Like, she's apparently completely comatose at this point, not just memory loss, but just totally unconscious, and they don't know how to, how to help her. They don't know how to save her, but Locke is apparently on this quest to just find some way to to snap her out of it, to, to find some herb or some medicine or something, yeah. something that can bring his love back. I thought that was really interesting how he seems to have told no one about this, right? Yeah. And yet he doesn't prevent everyone from, you know, piling in and seeing this whole flashback along with you. Right. Um, and, and it's odd because, you know, the crazy old man, the priest or whoever he is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the witch doctor down there with his herbs. Uh, he makes it clear that this is something that Locke requested or, mm-hmm. so, you know, so that's, that's odd. And yeah, it seems a little um, ghoulish, right? That it is being kept alive in this way and not, not, he's not letting her go, even though he, you know, bowed to the pressures of family and maybe his own, you know, Wanderlust took him off um, eventually to go 
find some new adventures. But and the old man calls her his treasure and yeah. laughs that that kind of cackling laugh, right? It's creepy. And and she remembered Locke's name at the end. He he says he, mm. he must have heard this from someone, I guess. So so yeah, there, apparently, there was, like at the last hour, as her family is being slaughtered or whatever, she calls out for him. And he's not there. Thus, you know, even more guilt. Like, as though this guy didn't have enough guilt sitting on his shoulders. And it seems to but, be happening again to him, right? This yeah. era that he was going to protect has had this strange transformation he couldn't prevent. And now he's off. And then she flies away and it's his fault. Like, it's it's pretty easy to, to see him as, as just sort of taking all of these responsibilities which some of them are his fault, but not as much as he seems to think. Like Tara, Tara's story is very much her own. Her situation is very different as we discover by the time that we make it to Zozo. But I think even more poignant is the fact that if you, if you have that scene with both Locke and Sellas in the party, like Locke and everybody else leaves the room and Sellas stays. Ah, uh, okay. She pauses at Rachel's body. Like you don't even get a line from her there's no interaction between her and the witch doctor priest or whoever. She just hesitates because she sees this. Like again, as you say, there's something kind of weird about Locke just walking into these places, despite the fact that he hasn't told anyone about it and just letting the party watch these events transpire. But for Sellers to watch it, it's especially, it's especially poignant because Locke did save her. That's right. Right. Locke did everything right with Sellas, and Sellas shows this evidence of devotion to him. Like we we talked a little bit last time about her her one or two lines with Tara, where it's kind of like, "What's the deal with Locke?" And Tara's like, eh, "I don't know." And so, you know, <laughs> bigger fish to fry. I'm a half. Yeah, we're we're gonna fight Kafka. Really, you want to talk about this right now? Um, but at the same time, you get this sense that, you know, here is Locke pining after this woman who he failed and who is lying, completely insensate, lost to him, but he's keeping her around. He's holding her on because he refuses to let go. And then he finds Tara and he's taking care of her and she's just got her own thing going on. Like she turns into, you know, Super Saiyan Esper girl and flies away and Locke somehow sees this as his fault, his mistake. But then there's Sellas who who really is there for him, who really, you know, has received the benefits of his heroism as insufficient as it might be. She has that connection. It's there. It's alive. And he's totally missing it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's, that's deliberate on the part of, of, the, of the writers of the game that, like, here is Locke just mitered in his own baggage, his own complexes, his own guilt, and refusing to see, you know, what is actually there right next to him. Yeah, there's a really nice moment, I think, coming up in um, the opera part where he finally sort of sees yeah. how great Celis uh, is. And it's, I mean, it's a little superficial. It's very much like one of those 90s movies where like yes. the dirty girl like dresses up in a nice dress and suddenly the, you know, the main character guy is like, oh, it's like she's oh, like, right, that. <laughs> so, it's, it's, so we'll get there, I guess. We'll yeah. get to he'll, uh, he'll grow up a little bit sooner or later. But I also liked how his flashback, different from Sabin and uh, Edgar's, his is in this kind of um, washed out um, sepia tone. 
Yeah. Whereas theirs is in regular, you know, pretty much regular color, I believe. Um, yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting how, you know, Locke is in a way this romantic or something like that. This is how he remembers things. Whereas when they remember things, it's, it's got this kind of clarity to it that is um, yeah. a little more matter of fact. So. And I think part of that too is, is the perspective, like the fact that it's Edgar and Saban both reminiscing. I mean, anytime that you sit and reminisce with a friend, you correct each other. Exactly. Like if it's something that happened long ago, then you fill in the details that other people have missed. But Locke, we only get that flashback from Locke's perspective alone. So you kind of get the sense, especially because, you know, first he says Rachel died, but then it turns out she's alive. You get this sense that he may be distorting the truth altogether. Yes. especially because of the way that he interacts with Tara, you know, his guilt may in this case also be kind of assumed where it doesn't belong. Um, like it, it's a, it's a tough scene to watch, but I always suspect that he's not quite giving us the whole story. Like he can't see it. I like that interpretation a lot. That's a really good point. Of, and I, I think part of that is it, it's, built into the mechanics of the game in a way, right? You can't mm -hmm. possibly do what he did to climb down in those yeah. kinds of situations. It would be a great addition to the game if you could, right? Because mm -hmm. then you could go spelunking for Mogs and Moogle. All over. <laughs> but yep, you finally get him to join your party. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that. So they, they break the game in that way. And that's, I always, I'm always drawn to moments like that in, in games where there's that kind of, um, that break in otherwise fixed mechanics um, for the purposes of, of a story beat or whatever it might be. And, and yeah, like by rights, Rachel should be here telling her side of this story so we can understand like, why did she save this guy's life? Like, mm -hmm. why did her parents hate him so much? Yeah. Um, if not beforehand, then, then after the fact, you know, that they had no sympathy for him in losing her as well. Um, which I think is just equally as, plausible a way to react to something like that but mm -hmm. but they definitely uh, they go full uh you know ra uh, rounding up their wagons or whatever and and yeah. him out so yeah um yeah so it's a very so this is a weird place um Kolingen, um maybe his hometown i'm not sure uh, but anyway a lot of a lot of history there to to run across if you've got him in your party which mm -hmm. again i think you're strongly like indicated that you probably should have both him and Celis. They're, they're, they're pretty key. Um, yeah. I, I, think, I think one of them, at least, I think Locke himself says, I have to go on this quest. Like you have no choice, but to bring Locke. Um, whether or not you bring the others is kind of up to you, but, but Locke, I, I'm pretty sure here and later in Zozo, when once again, you're forced to choose party members, Locke is like, I'm going and there's no choice about it. And you just have to deal with this. Yeah, um so i think is optional but but Locke is not he's kind of he's yeah button his way in and and so how about as far as um when you're in battle what you're up to at this point are you are you trying to level your party yet are you just kind of moving through it still um, yeah um strategy are you using at this point at this point, I am admittedly trying to, to keep away from, from grinding. So all of my party members are hanging around. I think they were hanging around level 15 for most of, most of this area. Like once we got to Zozo, I think the Sellas and Locke and 
and uh, Cyan were all up to something like 17 or 18. Cyan especially, he, he's been he's been my my rock as far as <laughs> these fights are concerned. Like he's got his quadra slam, and now that takes out everybody. So yeah, that's pretty um, much all you need. Yeah, it's it's tough to answer the quadra slam if you if you can just time everything right. Um, so that's so I think at this point everybody's roughly around level fourteen, fifteen. Um, but I haven't, I haven't devoted any time to grinding. Honestly, this is, this is the time to do it because now you can not only like wander wherever you want to, you can go back to the Narsh and get party members who are a member of your party. Like you can explore half the map at this point. Um, it's, it's as much freedom as we've gotten up until now. So I might spend some extra time this week. Uh, I think once you get the, uh, once you get the espers, then it makes more sense to do it. Yeah, because then you've got the magic points adding up as well, and everybody's learning magic, so so there's a lot of advantages to doing it at this point. Yeah, yeah. There's stat bonuses, too, when you have those equipped, which is really, really great. Um, and so you've got that to look forward to um, if you get through Zozo, which is easily the hardest part of the game so far oh yeah it is a major difficulty spike uh going from just little you know random encounters in the open world to zozo just a relentless gauntlet of fights um but i'm also kind of struck by the process by which you get to zozo um like it is linear in the sense that there's only one way to get there but uh it's also like there's an element of tracking hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're given the hint that, oh, we should go to Figaro first. So, you know, you go to Figaro, they do the, the underground submerged castle trick, which is awesome. I wish I had a moving castle in that respect. Um, but then, then you're just sort of abandoned. Like you're stuck in the desert. There's a village to the north. So you go to the north and you're like, hey, did anyone see a flying purple-haired girl? And, you know, some people will say, okay, yeah, I saw her flying to the south. So you go south and you go to Jadur and, and you talk to them. And they say, yeah, we saw her go north to Zozo. Um, but in the process, you're sort of getting, not only are you doing like the where did she go? We have to go find her. We have to track her down, follow, follow her footsteps. But you also get this weird, like, political glimpse yes. of what's going on. Like in Jadur especially, uh, like the the town itself is structured in a classist way. Like they're not even they're not even pretending. There there are people who will just come up to you and be like, "Yes, the richest people live on the top of the town, and the poor people live in the basement." But more importantly, if you're really poor, you leave and you go to Zozo. Yeah. <laughs> um, driven out to form their own city. Yeah. 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 Which I think is really interesting. Like it, it's it's not even attributed to the empire or any of the normal villains that that we usually think of and, and it's just there's apparently this really harsh classism going on in Jadur that has driven out an entire section of the population to hang out in Zozo um it reminds and, me of the the rich old man in South Figaro um mm-hmm. you have you have him kind of one up here because there's an even bigger grander house oh yeah with all the art and the the guy is like he basically invites you to look at his art museum and it's just a bunch of pictures and sprites and stuff that you can see anywhere. Yeah. Um, but there's also an auction house in Jador. So you also get a sense of like, where does the art come from? How does he get this stuff? Um, and there's just, I mean, 
I even remarked uh, to Sarah about this, like the entire time that we were on this trip, I was buying stuff left and right. Um, Cause you find two or three shops along the way and it's time to upgrade everything. Like okay. there's new armor available. There's new weapons available. Um, a couple of tough decisions. Like, are you going to keep a sword on sellers or are you going to use the flail, which you oh, can use in the back row. Um, but at the expense of using runic, which kind of hurts. Um, but then again, like you see, you see sort of this world take a new, a new depth there with with the sort of divisions between the nobles living on their gigantic mansions in the top of the city and then the poor people like just trying to get by in their inns and pubs on the lowest level by the water um yeah. i don't know it's it's striking and it's not something that the game has explored all that much up until this point yeah. um it, i mean I think given the, the political situation, um, it does seem like there's a lot of possibility for people to just m make profits off of, you know, the, the needs of others, essentially, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I, I think there's that aspect to it. There's also, it seems like the suggestion there that, you know, we're, we're working our way towards what's going to be Midgar in the next, yeah. right? Like, as we as we start to gain interest in who these wealthy people might be, we can sort of weave a whole story around them and what what they get up to. Um, because yeah, in in previous Final Fantasies, it's always been an, an empire, right? A political um, entity of some kind that um, that's behind the disruption in the world. But then when you come to Seven, it it, it shifts over to be a corporation, right? The power company um, that's behind it all. And I think that's a that's a refinement of um, sort of identifying interesting villains that that's beginning to take place here. I think mm -hmm. it's good to, to note that. Um, I, I did want to mention also with the idea of the art being the, the kind of distinguishing factor, um, mm -hmm. the sort of like showing off what you've got. Um, I, I thought that that was interesting because there's also this old, yet another crazy old man living alone in a hut who uh, has a monument to war, a Coliseum that he wants to design. So you've got yeah, the auction house kind of paralleled by this Coliseum somewhere. Um, I guess it's not something you can reach yet, but, but it's there. Mm -hmm. it's yeah. Fine. So there's a kind of beauty to violence, I guess we're being told there. That, um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But he needs help to finish. I, I take that to mean financial help. So presumably, yes. All right. So gotta have his patron, his investor. I, mean, I don't know why he doesn't just go out and fight monsters for a while and uh and I know, right. You're just racking so much money that way. <laughs> but uh but so eventually, yeah, you can go on and actually go to the opera house, um, but you don't need to yet. So instead if you do follow what the game seems to be telling you, all the all the NPCs worried about this flying purple haired girl, and you go to Zozo. Um, mm -hmm. it's different. It's a different kind of town. Um, yes. It's raining. I mean, for one yeah. And I mean, from the perspective of the player, like you walk in, it's just like any other town. Like the, the image on the world map is the same as any other village, any other town you go in figuring you're going to find your usual, you know, in pub, et cetera, et cetera. You make, take three steps and bam, there's a random encounter and you know, something's up. Yeah. Um, but it's also significant that all of the monsters you fight in Zozo are thieves. 
um, they're not monsters proper. They're not like animals or weird creature things like the vultures or the, the rabid bunnies and the cabbages that you keep running into <laughs> on the overworld. Um, and, and for that matter, they're not just thieves, but they actually behave like thieves. Like they steal your gold and they try and run away. Um, you know, some will definitely attack you and attempt to destroy your party. But for the most part, you know, that's, it's unpredictable is I think what's, what's most striking about Zozo and what makes it more, more dangerous than most of the places that we've seen. Um, like most of the enemies, they've got their, their little, they throw the, the wrench at you and you take like 50 damage or something, or, or they hit you with something a little bit harder and you take like 60 damage. But then you also have uh, the dancers who can cast ice too and like do 200 damage to everybody in your party. Yeah. The yeah. giants who, as a parting shot, if you take them out, they will occasionally, not always, hit you with that magnitude eight which is another like 250 damage to everybody in the party um i fortunately uh like got lucky on a couple of the of the drops and got the dragoon boots oh um, nice yes so so lo- i was using jump with lock instead of attack which is super convenient when you're fighting the giants because then half the time he's trying to kill all of your party members and lock is up in the air where he doesn't have to worry about it um so that that I found especially helpful, but it also became very necessary to keep everybody at really high health as you're, you know, walking through Zozo. But I think that really successfully captures just the danger of the whole place. But at the same time, it's like a lighthearted danger. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. There's people in town who don't attack you, who will talk to you, um, who seem to be going about their business whatever that is, it's a little unclear what they're up to, but yeah, basically thieving and burgling your usual, you know, and some of it's, and some of it's just plain silly. Like, I mean, pretty early on you find what appears to be a pub, although it's very clear later on that like all the signs have been stolen and reorganized and completely mixed (laughs) up. Um, And he's just like lying flat in a gutter like outside of the pub and then you find another random guy who's lying flat in the street outside of one of the buildings. And if you talk to him, he's like, I love this place. It's great. (laughs) Um, So, you know, you, you get this sort of like Moss Eisley wretched hive of scum and villainy vibe off the whole place that, you know, yes, it's a bunch of thieves and they're obviously miscreants and troublemakers and there's probably a fair amount of murder going on, but everybody kind of takes it in stride. Like, it's not a big deal. You're the weirdos here with your quest and your, you know, honor and, and all of your fancy, fancy weaponry. Like this is, this is a town very much struggling to survive and kind of okay with that. Um, Yeah. And you see that too in its, in its architecture in a way it's like, mm -hmm. it's almost like all on stilts. um, Yeah. Buildings. And it's really strange for the, for the game to portray things that way. Cause, cause you have to walk behind things to get places too. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a kind of verticality to this place. That's unusual. Um, It also obscures your path a lot of the time like it makes everything feel like it's a secret passage and and you have to traverse the city in weird ways like you have to jump through windows from building to building like the burglars do in order to make it to the top of the tower where where Terra actually is um you have to burgle your way up there um (laughs) 
you you sink into the town but but there's also you know the secret passages like there's that mysterious clock and people give you hints but they're all lying about it um and you know you've got like the the the, every time that you find what a building that has the sign for a shop you go in it's just a treasure chest instead of somebody who you buy stuff from so once again you're stealing all of the good stuff instead of (laughs) buying it in your typical honorable fashion i'll take Um, it one step further every time i play this part of the game i just look up the code for the clock (laughs) i I totally cheat like i am the worst of the thieves because i don't even play (laughs) right and figure it out i just i just get the chainsaw yeah i i was tracking all the information but i didn't get the get, didn't get the details right like i totally screwed up the the lies because i didn't anticipate that but fortunately i was playing it with sarah and sarah's like try this one and i entered it and it opened and i'm like how did you know and she's like well i was paying attention i don't know about <laughs> you <laughs> um but yeah first try first guess on her account so nice. Yeah, so like I was trying to pick up the details. I was trying to take all the hints and put them all together. But yep, she's the one who got me the chainsaw in the end. That's excellent. So yeah, it has it has two again, sort of randomly. It'll either deal a ton of damage and kill mm-hmm. somebody, or it will just straight up kill somebody. Yep. Either way, you pretty much just very win. effective. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's fun. So yeah, I mean, it's a little redundant though, because you just got a drill item for him too, which is, you know, really powerful also. We'll probably kill somebody in one hit, but he's just, yeah, again, just overpowered. Um, yep. Just the way this game works, it seems like. So at least now there's also like super overpowered, essentially mini bosses that you're fighting every, you know, three or four steps. In mm-hmm. So you know, there's a nice level of challenge there. And, and I like the part about, yeah, you got to like, jump across the gaps um in the rain i mean it's very cool it's it's like it's this bizarro world that you're sort of um dropping into for a minute here there's no Mm. real explanation for why it's this way um other than yeah these people have been um cast out by their more wealthy brethren so in a way this is like the flip side of the beautiful you know orderly towns that we've been passing through Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and at the top of the tower, you come to this guy who again lies and says he hates, you know, fighting. And so he definitely isn't about to just attack you. Um, right. I thought he was kind of a letdown actually, after how difficult it is to get there. Um, that battle wasn't too hard for me. Um, you are lucky. He flattened two of my three party members in one shot. What? Um, oh, yeah. No. He's, uh, he's got, he's got the throw command the way that, shadow does oh so no started throwing mithril knives at me and he did 600 damage per shot um oh, that never like, happened to me i don't know yeah <laughs> it was about halfway through the fight and uh, he just took out he just leveled both sellers and cyan in one shot lock fortunately had jumped so there was no hitting him but then he made makes it back to the ground and i used all of my phoenix stones <laughs> Dang. trying to get everybody up I, I have a feeling that you and i are having very different experiences as far as the actual gameplay portion of this game because yeah, i'm like i'm fighting tooth and claw every one of these boss fights um uh, no problem i mean he does summon a couple of minions but they're you know not too bad and they're, they're fairly easy to dispatch but 
And I also had four people in my party, you know, so I was like hitting him with the fire dance. I was hitting him yep. with the chainsaw. So, yeah. Yeah. I imagine that you probably beat him faster than he could get his, his real I think so. moves out. Yeah. Um, I reckon, I reckon. And yeah, yeah. I mean, Locke, I, I mostly steal with him. I, I like the idea of using the dragoon boots because that's just super cool. Like I love that jump move in every mm -hmm. Final Fantasy game that it appears in. Um, but I, I also like Locke being like really fast and like hitting, yes. right? So he, he can, because I have that one item, he can equip two of those um, knives that, that speed him up mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and help him steal stuff better. So I just, I just uh, use him to, to load up on, on loot, basically. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, yeah, a little different. But you can do different things in this game. That's the beauty of it, right? I mean, you could bring just Gal. You could just be Gal. And <laughs> yep, you will but. master whatever abilities Gal has for all of his crazy different transformations and find how to best utilize that. Because he is crazy powerful. It's just, it you got to know how. Um, you gotta, and he'll, you never gotta get know hit by, he'll never get hit by magnitude 8 because he'll be floating half the time. Yep, yep. Uh, and so when you do beat up on uh, Dataluma and his 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 tufts um, in that room, mysteriously for some reason he has been guarding uh, Tara. She's there. She's like in the bed, um, recuperating. And and not only her, right? There's also this other mysterious voice, and it it manifests as this old man uh, named Rama, like mm -hmm. the summon that does lightning damage is yep. in Final Fantasy games. Yeah. Uh, I have yet to look up why that's the name of the summon who does lightning damage, but um, they seem really determined that that's the right name for him. So, yep, I think the spelling is a little weird. I'm I'm pretty sure, like I want to say that that's that's Rama from Hindu mythology that they're referring to. Okay, um, like he's one of the one of the ones associated with Vishnu. I want to say that he's a sky god, but I could be mistaken. Um, I'm not too up on like the incarnations of the Hindu religion because there's so many of them um, and they change from time to time. Um, but I, I think that's the reference that they're pointing to. Uh, and like, I'm for some reason, because I'm more familiar with final fantasy eight among all the final fantasy games, I always think of Quetzalcoatl, which like that one's pretty darn clear. Aztec God of lightning, yeah. very so straightforward. Cool. Um, but yeah, and Rama, in addition to being the lightning guy, he's also very much the sort of exposition guy in this situation. Like he is the wise sage. He is Rauru telling you how the seven sages works. Um, he's giving you a glimpse of, of the world that up until now you've only kind of half seen, um, largely because you know that the empire is after espers you know that espers have some major influence on terra but besides her picking up and flying away at some point you really don't know what that means um, but then rana lays it all out for you um terra is an esper the espers used to live among humans but humans tried to control and exploit their power and so the espers took off and kicked all the humans out but now here we are again with the Empire trying to exploit them, capturing them, misusing them, destroying them in the process in most cases. Um, but he also, like, he also reveals this secret to you 
that here Kafka has been trying to like drain the power of the espers and funnel it into people like Sellers or like Terra. But then he tells us that, no, actually you can only get the full, the full power of the Esper when they die. Which is horrifying. <laughs> it's kind of a Jedi thing though, right? It's like if they yeah. sacrifice themselves, then maybe less horrifying. I don't know. Like, yeah, it's not clear to me what, dying means for them if they yeah, go back to their other realm behind the door or if they're just sort of part of you now I, i'm not clear yeah and, and they can talk to you from time to time from beyond the grave or whatever it is and it doesn't seem like it really inconveniences them over much like presumably if you just bring them to the other side of the door everything is kosher again but but you also just get this sense in that moment that like they're imparting this secret to you that if kefka had a had a hold of it would not only cause him to wipe out the espers in one go but also make an army of super powerful esper users overnight like it's almost weird to think that you know the obvious solution here is the one that kefka is the one you're most you would most associate it with like of course kefka's killed an esper right or hasn't he because he thinks they're too valuable it's like his Um, own shrewdness has has deprived him of um yeah, the ultimate weapon that he's seeking. That's yeah, really which is itself so Kafka-ish. Um, and, and I'm obviously in this conversation, they, they direct you, like, your next move is to go to the Magitech research facility and save the other espers because that's what Terra needs next. Um, so, you know, that sets up probably one of the most dramatic, like, scenes, dungeon rescues in the in the first half of the game, which I'm sure we'll talk about next time or next couple of times. Um, but even so, just you, you like it, it's hard to sort of wrap my brain around just all of the the sort of like metaphysical glimpse that you, that Rama gives you, um, in that you have this sort of boundary, you have the magic world, and you have the mundane world, and you have this constant try attempt to exploit the magic from the mundane, and really at the end of the day, it's the destruction or sacrifice, depending that enables that power to actually be transferred. Like Rama gives it up willingly. And, and there's, there's this weird moment when he does, like he transforms into a crystal and lock and the rest of your party is standing around like, well, this seems really awkward. Why? I mean, they're uncomfortable with it. That's right. They, they, they feel, I mean, this, this being this superior being just died so that they have a chance of helping Terra. I mean, what is the significance here? Why is, why is this something they're willing to do? Yeah. Um, yeah. And what, so what is so special about her too? Cause he does say he brought her there by, by his, yeah. and then someone asks, you know, whoever protagonist might be asked Terra's an right. expert. No, she's actually quite different. And that's not picked up on. Like, then we just think, yeah. how do we help her? We got to do something. So we, whatever she is and why, you know, why this sacrifice is, is, you know, requisite in this case for this situation. There, there does seem to be a kind of crisis here that isn't like anything that's happened before, right? The mm-hmm. solution before was, you know, leave, separate, but now that's breaking down. And so this new solution has to do with this person who's Esper-like, maybe part in some ways, but by the same, you know, she doesn't really look much like the other espers that we've seen. She 
yeah, much more of a Super Saiyan vibe is is what we're getting from. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and she she kind of like flies off and runs into the wall, and then you put her back in bed. So she's still out of commission. You don't get her back in your party yet. Um, she's still changed. You're not, you know, you're not able to put some herbs on that. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to got to proceed. Um, but now you do have an esper for everybody, and so now everybody uses magic. Yes. Which is wild. Um, and, and, yeah. and you can also customize it at this point. Yeah. Like each Esper offers a certain, like a certain regimen of magic that your character can learn and given enough training, they'll learn it permanently and you can switch Espers and they'll still have the knowledge. Mm -hmm. But as you point out, like it comes with a stat boost. Every time they level up, they get an advantage. So, you know, you're, you're, this is a dramatic power increase for the party. Um, having the espers available for you to sort of move around and, and switch around. Um, but again, like it's emphasized here that you're, you're dealing with complementary powers. Like the, the spread you get at first is pretty obvious the way that it's oriented. You've got Rama, who is your damage esper, and he comes with, you know, thunder damage and things like that. You've got Kirin, who is all about the healing and comes with cure and cure too. And um, you've got like a debuff Esper Siren who silences everyone. Um, and I forget who the last one is. Stray. Uh, Stray. Yes. Um, he does so something. confusion maybe. Yeah. I think it's confusion. Yeah. Another, another debuff, but this one like a little bit more devastating. Like Siren is great against magic users. Confusion is great against everybody. Mm. Um, Although but, also something you can do with Edgar's tool that you've had forever, right? You can just yes. use everybody with no magic's cost too. True. If it works though. And <laughs> and Edgar, as I recall, has a pretty high miss rate on, on the confusion. Yeah. You know, he's slow, he's kind of bumbling, but yeah. He's yep. also probably better just to just devastate people with the chainsaw anyway. So. I mean, why bother with confusion when you <laughs> can just auto crossbow everyone to death? Um, or bioweapon or whatever you want to go with. But it is, and I mean, like I, it, a lot of how powerful the espers will be will depend on where the characters are at anyway. Like I, I socketed um, Rama to Locke, and Locke has no magic, so he doesn't do a whole lot of damage. But you switch it around and give her, give him to Sellas. Now you're talking about some fairly serious firepower. Yeah. Um, but it's also just you know. It's interesting that at this stage of the game, it's only Rama who really does serious damage. Most of the other espers are support. Um, they're not there to to take over for you know Cyan's sword techniques and Edgar's crazy weaponry or Sabin's brawling abilities. Mm -hmm. um, they only help. Uh, like that'll change, obviously. You know, just wait until you get Bahamut, but. Um, <laughs> But at this point, you know, it's not as, as much as this is a huge power increase for the party. It's a more subtle power increase yeah. for the most part. And it, I think it does have a lot more thematically to do with things right now than outright, you know, helping you win fights. Like you didn't yeah. necessarily struggle with that. But I mean, it depends, like depending on your situation, maybe you did, but, but this isn't necessarily going to totally turn the tide in that respect. Yep. It's, it's more to sort of show you, these legends about the war of the Magi, they're, they're partly true. There's, there's something there and there's this whole other world, like a fairy mm -hmm. realm sort of there. Um, 
there's some sort of connection between crystals and magic, right? This magicite thing, like, so that's the classic Final Fantasy yep. you know, symbol coming out pretty clear. Um, but there's, there's this other thing too, right? This um, whatever Terra actually is um, that remains to be discovered. But you're going to abandon her in this tower and go off. And, and, yeah. Well, okay. So wait, does she, do you at least like take her back to Narsh or something? Like, I forget. Does she just I mean, the tower the whole time? <laughs> everybody is saying, you know, we're going to go and defend Narsh with whoever doesn't come along in the party. So, you know, it'd be nice to think that, that you know, Terra's going to get protected in Narsh rather than at the top of Zozo. But honestly, like, as places to protect someone go, <laughs> the top room of the Tower of Zozo seems to be pretty well protected. Like, as long as you, you keep the thieves away from her, you know, I can't imagine that even the Imperial Army wants to wade through that giant mob of, like, Hades Titans and crazy fire dancers and, you know, people stealing 4,000 gold every time that they attack you. I mean, that's no fun. So, <laughs> I think she's she's pretty good either way. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so for next time, we'll take a look at some of these, uh, what, they're, what they're like in battle, and maybe do a little more research in our mythology and what, what they're up to with that. Um, we'll go to the, uh, the opera and yep. meet yet another uh, playable character, probably. Hooray! Because uh, we needed, yeah, we needed another one. But we mostly need an airship, turns out. Because, yes. you know, Final Fantasy game, we're a few hours in, it's time to get an airship. Yep. Yeah, cool. And this is a really iconic part of the game also. Oh, yes. Probably... Probably the most memorable part of Final Fantasy VI. And I, I'm very fuzzy on the game after this. Like, what happens beyond the opera and getting the airship and going there? I really don't remember anything. Yeah. I'm about to enter some unknown territory here. It, well, I, it will not disappoint. <laughs> oh, okay. okay, cool. I'm glad that we're back on track with this. Um, we'll try to play a little bit and talk again soon. Sounds good. All right. Take it easy. You too.